0: How did he prove his, his uh, how was he able to prove um, his authority in the physical realm? Healings, right? Right? He healed the sick, the disease. What about the spiritual realm? How did he show his authority over the spiritual realm? Yeah, he cast out demons. So he, is, he has continued to prove that he is the one who is to come. The one who who came down the heavenly highway that Isaiah said was going to come, right? And so the, the whole idea that we just continue to see is this idea of the authority of Jesus. Mark just continues to throw that out there. And every time I see the word authority, I, I put a little uh, box around it just because I, that just helps me to see it. Uh, just looking on my page, I see it in chapter 1 and verse 22 And in 1 in verse 27, I see it again. Uh, We're going to see it again in our text as well. And we'll we'll continue to see this word authority because this is very important. So we start off in chapter 2 and it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was... No more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So Mark lets us know he's back where? He's back in Capernaum, right? You remember this little, this little uh, place? And, and we don't, and, and something else he says there. Did you catch it? Capernaum, and I actually drew, a I underlined Capernaum, and then I underlined another little phrase there. It says, Jesus was home. And I just kind of drew a little line to those because Capernaum was home to Jesus. Now, we don't know if it was uh, what is believed to be Peter's house or if Jesus had his own house. Many believe it was Peter. Uh, of course, Luke is not going to tell us. Only thing that we really know, and the important thing is that Jesus, it, he is at a place that he's at home. He's, he feels at home. And, and Jesus has just come off of this this massive preaching tour and healing and everything else. So, you know, it would have been good to be home. But how has he met when he gets home? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the crowds. Once again, we see this 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 whole idea with the crowds, right? The crowds have gathered again. Um, and they are... They're not just like outside his house. Where are they? They're inside. They're crammed in there. I mean, they are shoulder to shoulder. And and they're wanting Jesus, right? Now, the crowds are very important in Mark. Because 40 different times, before we even get to chapter 10, we see the word crowds. And we might think, it's easy for us to think, well, that's great. Jesus is attracting crowds. But watch Mark. Mark does not show crowds as being a positive. Crowds were always people who were doubting. They were people who were indecisive. And as we're going to see here, there are people who are constantly uh, obstructing. Yeah, constantly wanting something. And here... They obstruct access to Jesus. That's what Marx wants us to see here with the crowds. And yet, despite that, Jesus is still going to teach them, right? Remember this authority of Jesus in this new teaching? In fact, it uses a thing here. He says that he preached the word to them. That's that's a Greek word, logos. Very big word, very big word in Scripture. Uh, in fact, why why would that why is logos a very big word? It's, it's the very identification of Jesus. You remember John? Uh, wait, that's not it. You remember uh, John one and verse one? In the beginning was the Word, the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. So here, Jesus. In this teaching, he not only proclaims it. He also um, presents it. Okay, you see that? Jesus, what he proclaims is seen in him. He is the word. Now the crowds... Again, we see they have doubt, indecisiveness, and and they obstruct and everything else. But they're not following Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, which is what Jesus came to do. He came to tell them about the kingdom. The kingdom is near. He tells them to repent. He tells them to believe in the the good news. We never hear the crowds doing that. Never. We never hear the crowds that are doing that. Now, Now, this is just simply a backdrop to what's about to happen. Okay? Somebody read for us verses 3 and 4. Okay, this is next level stuff, right? Uh, these crowds are doing what, man? They, it's not the crowds anymore. He's talking about who? These four men, right? We'll talk about that in just a minute. That there's these four men. Now let's talk about ancient homes real quickly. So these are kind of that first century kind of look. And so the roof itself, there there were these there were these beams that sat on the walls. And then there was this, this cross section would be like wooden poles or wooden sticks, and then they would put thatch and mud, pack it all down. This gives us a better idea of what's happening. In fact, the English standard version, which is what I use here, uh, he says he that it, that they made an opening, made an opening. anybody have a different translation other than made an opening? The Greek itself is better translated digging through. They removed by digging. <laughs> it gives you an idea of their roofs compared to our roofs. Now, what's happening below? Jesus is teaching, right? Who's he teaching? Crowds. How big are the crowds? They're packed in there like sardines, right? So when they start digging through, what do you think is happening? Yeah, there's going to be dust and dirt and probably clumps are going to start fall, falling down. It's just rude, folks. It's just rude what they're doing because they're tearing up a hole in this house. And, and, and not, not only are they tearing up things, but they're interrupting Jesus, right? Right? Now, when we look back, it's easy for us. If, in fact, I think if we were there, we probably that's the way we would have looked at it. It would have been like, are you serious? Right? But now, when we look back, how do we see these four men? How do we view them? They're desperate. Yes. They're desperate. They've got to get in there and see Jesus. But the crowds are obstructing them from getting their friend to Jesus. Well, let's see what Jesus thinks about all of this verse five and when they and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. How did Jesus take the actions of the four men? He took it as what? Faith. Uh, we've got something going on here with these four men? that are totally different than the crowds, right? And what we see is it's just an, it's an action of faith is what we find. In fact, it's a good time to, to define this word. It's the first time we find the word faith in Mark. And, and the word faith means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. Okay? So, so let me ask you this. What did they believe? They believed Jesus could heal. But here's the interesting thing. Does Mark tell us what they believed? What does he tell us? He tells us what they did. Right? And so many times people see faith as something that I believe. is something that I think. It's an emotion. But here we see, very first time we learn about faith, we learn that it's an action. Faith is seen in their action. Okay? So so that's very important. Uh, But notice, Christ says something very interesting to the paralytic. What does he say to him? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Why did the paralytic come to Jesus? Be healed. Do you think the paralytic was like Jesus? That's great, man. I'm te- listen. I don't want you to think I'm not being appreciative, but um, I can't walk. <laughs> this is this is why these guys tore through this roof because I can't walk. And it, and it's really interesting because let me ask you this. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, is is he healed? He is. No, not yet. He's not healed yet. So it's like, well, why is Jesus first saying to the man, "Your sins are forgiven"? Do what? More important. Uh, there's there's a lot of things here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight, and this kind of goes to our reading in the in. In the Old Testament that we've been going through. You remember Deuteronomy and the second generation. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And God tells them, listen, you keep my law. Keep God's instructions. And he says, listen, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, fever, inflammation, fiery heat. So for many of these folks, if not all of those folks, they saw someone who was suffering with something. As a means of God punishing. Right? Uh, Job's friends. Remember who that was who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? You know, they're, they're asking, Miriam, you remember Miriam? Miriam bucks the authority of Moses at one point. What happens to her? What? Yeah, she got leprosy. Can you see why they would have thought, well, you've got a sickness. You know, There's could be a problem. But look, you may say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. Well, when we go to James chapter 5, it says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, see all this connection, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Psalm 32, it is just this wonderful psalm of the blessing of forgiveness. And in there, he talks about when, he had, when he's in sin, and he says that I kept silent because my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So he says, in my sins, I'm suffering physically. Can you see this thought okay and and i think we would be we would have to completely turn our heads from scripture to say that's not that it's impossible for someone to be sick or to have some kind of something happen uh, um, because of their sins I, i think we would just have to but here's the other side of that that's not the way it always is how do we know that there's a book of the Bible dedicated to the whole thing. What? Job. Right? What was the whole idea with Job? You know, it, it kept saying, look, Job, all this stuff has happened to you. You know, he had the best friends in the world. You know, you, you just need to curse God and die. I mean, you've done something. And he's like, I don't know what I've done. I haven't done anything. And 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 so you're like, well, you know, well, maybe Jesus is coming. he's a Listen, th- in John chapter 9, here's another healing. And it says, you pass and he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples ask, his own disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So which one had sinned? He said none of them. None of them. So, so we have to be very careful with that mentality. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. That mentality was there. So if you grew up a paralytic, what did people say about you? You sinned somewhere. There, there's something. And, and have you ever had someone They, you know, you can tell someone something long enough and they begin to what? They begin to believe it. I mean, that's why we have to be very careful with our children. Right? What we, what we tell them. About themselves, because they will begin to believe that about themselves. Uh, And it's the same with people in your life who continually berate you, and you can begin to believe those things. So, this guy, he's been told this his, you know, no doubt he has believed this his, his whole life. Do you think that the paralytic ever prayed about his condition? Hmm? If you were a paralytic in that day and time, you wouldn't pray? You wouldn't pray for yourself? Wow. Why? Take what's handed to you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm praying. If I've got a physical problem, I'll pray for other people, but I'm praying. God tells us to pray. Yes, yeah, tell, he says, come, tell me, tell me, tell me what, what it is. So, I think this paralytic had prayed several times, but what, what was the outcome of his prayers? No. The outcome of his prayers was simply this. He's still paralytic. Right? Right? And, and, you know, we know what James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. So if you pray and then your situation is still the same, then what are you thinking? I'm not a righteous person. I'm not a righteous person. I think this may be where this man was. And I think this may be one of the reasons why Jesus addressed him as such. Yes, Possibly, but here's another thought. Whose faith does it say that Jesus saw? The four men. Does it mention the faith of the paralytic? That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. I think Jesus may have been addressing something he needed more than anything else. More than he needed to be be healed of this sickness. He needed needed to hear that, that God is not punishing him. He needed to hear that God is not angry with him. God is not running from the paralytic. He's coming to the paralytic. You see that? And I think one of the great indications may be from Matthew's account of this. And there Jesus says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. That word sons there, it's a term of endurement. So he said, listen, my son, your, your sins are forgiven. I I just I think there's something here. Um that's going on. But listen, that's not, there's a big debate about to happen. A big debate about to happen. So verses six and seven. Says now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, oh well, hold on, I don't want to go that far yet. All right, so once again we hear about that other group of people. Who are they? They were the scribes, right? We've talked about them before. Uh, They were basically, they were like the Bible class or the Bible teachers, the Bible nerds or whatever you want to call it of the people. And they hear this and notice they are perceiving in their minds. Jesus is reading their minds. It's not something they said. It's something that they are perceiving in their minds. And what are they upset about? Yeah, that Jesus is saying that this guy's forgiven. Okay, now I want you to, I want to take you back to the first century and even beyond that and think about for the Jews, how did they how did they come upon atonement for their sins? What what did they do? Yeah. So they would go to the temple, right? And they would bring their sacrifice. And they, they would meet at this One door, and and there would be a line of people. And everybody, listen, it's a very public thing. I mean, you see somebody standing in line with an animal, and you knew they've done something. Right? They've done something. I can imagine the scuttlebutt back in that day and time. But that's what they did. And then the priest is to take it, and he's to do what? He's to sacrifice it. And so at the beginning of the day, that priest had on pure white Robes. At the end of the day, what did that white robe look like? It looked like blood. It was covered with blood. And can you imagine the stench? It was a terrible thing. And it's like, what is that all about? God wants us to understand what our sins are like in our lives. It's disgusting. It's, it's something that is terrible. He wants us to see what that is all about. So it was, uh, atonement was made by the priest. Now last week we talked about Jesus. We said he is the great high priest. Why? Because not only can he heal, but also he cleansed, right? He cleansed this guy who had leprosy. Even the priest couldn't heal. They could cleanse. They could offer, tell them when they're not clean or when they are clean, but they could not heal. But Jesus shows he's the great high priest. Once again, we see Jesus in this high priestly role. You've you got to see him in these roles that that just continue to go back. And it should make more sense when we're reading through the Old Testament and why wow, those things are so big, so, so big as to what's happening there. So anyway, um, so, so now the Levitical priest, they can't heal, okay? All they can do is, is offer up these sacrifices. Uh, but, it, but even at that, they can't promise them they'll be healed because that's based on a person's repentance. It's, it's based on their restitution. It's based on the sacrifice and things of that sort. So it's out of their hands. But Jesus comes along, the great high priest, and he looks at this man and he says what? Your sins are forgiven. And what he is saying here is that he has authority to do what? To forgive. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. So this is why the scribes are sitting here and they're thinking to themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, what they're saying, who does he think he is? God? Right? Who does he think he is? God? And it was arrogant to them because Jesus was claiming something that only, only Yahweh could claim. Leviticus 24 6 talks about those who blaspheme. Look, he says it's such a serious offense that it's worthy of the death penalty whole congregation of people are to come out and to put that person to death are you starting to see where jesus how he's on his way to the cross already because of these claims that he's making because of this authority now we need to understand that the scribes are correct only god can forgive malachi tells us who is a god like you pardoning iniquity And passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. Okay, so only God can do this. And and so what he's saying is, I'm God. That's what he's saying here. So Mark wants us to get into this drama. He wants us to see how outrageous of a claim this is by Jesus. And also how marvelous it is. Because what it means is, with the coming of the kingdom of God, comes forgiveness. Okay? The kingdom is near. And Jesus is demonstrating what this kingdom life is all about. Folks, this is just powerful. All right, let's, let's keep going. All right, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. <clears throat> And immediately Jesus, there's our word immediately again, by the way, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, there's our word, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and, what, immediately, there's our word, picked up his bed and went before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So to answer the question of the scribes, again in their mind, their mind was who can forgive sins but God alone? And he says, well, which one is easier for me to proclaim someone that uh, say they are forgiven or to tell someone who cannot walk to get up and walk? So what do you think? How would you answer that question? Yeah, to to tell a paralytic to get up and walk. Because look, I can go around the room and I can say, you know, Susan, you are forgiven, right? I can say, Jerry, you are forgiven. Or Gay, you are forgiven. How do you know? How do you know? But if I were to tell a paralytic, get up and walk, you're going to know. (laughs) And I can tell you, I can't tell a paralytic to get up and walk, and they'll walk. So Jesus, in order to show that when he says, I have told someone that their sins are forgiven, to prove that he can do that, he's going to do the more difficult thing, which is to demonstrate his authority and power over the physical realm. All right? So Jesus can heal a man with physical paralysis. And he says, I want them to know. Did you see that word there? It's a big word. It means to accept someone to be what is claimed. So what is he wanting them to accept? What is he wanting them to know? What? He's God, but something else there. Authority, what else? That he is the son of man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay. Something huge just happened here. Okay. Something big just just happened here. Son of man. This is... This is what Jesus referred to himself more than anything else. More than Son of God or Messiah or High Priest. uh, Mainly Son of God and Messiah. In fact, you'll hear someone refer to him as Son of God. He he will usually come right back and say... And he'll refer to himself as the Son of Man. It's it's so fascinating. Same thing with Messiah. He just comes right back with this Son of Man. And, And what we find there is just... It's just so fascinating. So remember what the question was in the beginning. Who has the authority to forgive sins? Jesus comes back, the Son of Man. The Son of Man has the authority to to forgive sins. Now, you would think, okay, talk about forgiveness um, wouldn't it be better to say son of God rather than son of man? In fact, son of, when you look at that particular Hebrew phrase, it is, it's a way of talking about one of a type. It's a member of a category. So what he's saying here, son of man, he is saying, I am human one. He is the human one. Okay. So again, if you're going to say forgiveness, and we always associate that with God, why doesn't he just say son of God? Because of this this great thing that happens in Daniel chapter 7. Turn over to Daniel 7. I'm I'm going to to set this up. So Daniel is from the royal seed of David. He is in exile in Babylon. And he has these dreams. And the dreams that he has is of these mutant beasts, okay? And and, uh, one was a cross between a lion and an eagle. You had another one that was a bear, and he had these three ribs in its mouth. Another one was a leopard, and he had four wings and four heads. And then there was this other beast that's hard to really know what this beast was, but it says that he had iron teeth. And he had 10 horns. And then after that, the dream just gets weird. <laughs> I know you're thinking, what? Yeah, it's, it's just weird. Now, we see this and we're like, oh, what is this? And this is why when we get to Revelation, if you, have a, if you don't know your Old Testament, when you get to Revelation, you're going to come out with all kind of crazy stuff. Okay, folks, these have to do with world empires. Okay. These are world empires. Now, what's happening here in this particular dream um, is these world empires have been creating havoc on the humans of the world. All right. So suddenly, Daniel sees uh, these thrones in heaven. Okay, um, and, and there's more than one. Look at look at verse nine. As he, as he looked, he said, thrones were placed. And then it says, the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's Yahweh. And so he sits on one of those thrones. The other one, though, it is unoccupied. Now, the Ancient of Days, he has this, this white, gleaming robe, white, gleaming hair, and so forth. Uh, and, and this throne that he has, it, it has... Wheels and it's all made of fire and 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 this would have been like a chariot for a king and it was considered a mobile throne, okay? But but what we need to understand is that there's there's two of these seats, two of these these thrones. And so the vision continues and it goes into this courtroom scene. Angelic beings are around the throne there in verse in verse ten. The court sits in judgment as the books are open and there's this final act of justice and salvation for the people of the world from these these terrible world empire empires so daniel all of a sudden sees something that is fantastic because the the beast the, the the main beast that crazy beast at the top He's destroyed. The other ones are taken captive in verses 11 and 12. But listen to verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like who? A son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Remember, he's sitting on the throne. And was presented before him. He's on the cloud. Remember that. And to him, talking about the Son of Man, he is given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. And dominion is an everlasting kingdom, a dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Okay. So we see this human who is like the Son of Man, and and he comes and he is riding on the clouds. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. He comes to the ancient of days. He comes to the divine throne. The ancient of days then gives the son of man dominion. This is this authority. He gives him dominion and power. He gives him a kingdom. What's Jesus preaching? The kingdom of God is at hand. This great kingdom that's coming. And he says it's everlasting, it's not like these other kingdoms, it will not be destroyed, it will not pass away. So the other beasts in the dream, they are conquered, and the son of man figure is then exalted. And so the storyline of this is that God wants to rule the world with a human king. Now I'm here to tell you something. This has always been God's plan. A lot of times, we when we go through Genesis one through three, I'm telling you, Genesis one through three, that is the prelude to the entire Bible. And we come to Genesis in, in one through three. Oh, and by the way, here's here's uh, you know gives you kind of a depiction. By the way, we don't know exactly what it looked like, uh, but again, this idea of this these these two thrones and so forth, Genesis. 1, 28 through 30. I think it's it's seeing me. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, oh, there's that word, over what? Fish, birds, living things that moves on the earth, beasts of the earth, every bird that creeps on the earth that has breath of life. Remember, he has just been made in the image of God and now the human ones are been given dominion. How well did they do? They failed. Have you ever thought about how they failed? Genesis 1, 3 verse 1. Now the serpent. Okay, we always hear the serpent. And we all, people like me, we don't like serpents. We just got another reason not to like snakes. But what you see is, and when we think about the classification of snakes. But notice what it says in Genesis 3 1. He's crafty more than any other what? beast, Beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He shall bruise your head, is what he goes on to say in verse 15, because of their fall. Did they take dominion over the beasts of the field? The beasts of the earth? No. And what happened? They fell. What's happening in, verse, in chapter 315? They are trampling. They are trampling on humankind. Do you see this? And so when we come back into all of this, one human is elevated out of this trampling mass from the beast of the earth. And he is to rule dominion, to rule in the kingdom of God, and it is the son of man. It is the human one. But we also know that he's a rider on the clouds, is what Daniel said. Guess who rode on the clouds in the Hebrew Scriptures? Yahweh. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. This is why he was able to do what he came to do. And this is going to play out. Uh, Jesus is both human, he is divine, he is establishing His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And it will become crucial when we get to the cross and the enthronement. In fact, turn over to Mark chapter 14. I know our time's over. And I'm not even gonna share this in worship, but it's so good. I just can't wait till we get to chapter 14. Is that okay? Uh, So, chapter 14, this is when Jesus has been betrayed, he's been arrested. He is now before the Jewish council and the high priest. Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked, Have you no answer to me? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, Okay, watch this. I am. And you will see The Son of Man, seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of power, the other seat, and coming with what? Clouds of heaven. Okay, we hear that and we're like, come on, did they really get that? Did they really pull all of that out? Watch the next verse. And the high priest tore his garments and he said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. You tell me they didn't pick up on the Son of Man. He's the one who's coming. He's the one who's going to sit on that other throne. And he's going to rule and he has a kingdom and dominion and power. He's the one who has the authority to forgive sins. He tells that man, you get up and you walk. And what does he do? He gets up and he walks, right? Why? Because he has authority. He is the son of man. You see that? Now listen, we could have just gone through that and we would have said, you know, Jesus has great authority, but when you see it through Daniel 7, does it just not make you, maybe it doesn't for you, but for me, I'm just like, whoa, wow. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this, this morning. We thank you for being here in our presence. We thank you for leaving these, these wonderful passages and prophecies and, and scriptures along the way that allow us to see, to see you, Father, the ancient of days, and to see your Son, who has come to forgive us of our sins, to who to will one day heal us of all of our infirmities. We thank you, Father, for the kingdom that Jesus has brought. And even though it's not in its, its, its full condition at this particular point, Father, we just thank you that we can be a part of it now as we just await for the coming of your son once again. Father, we just we thank you. We thank your son, Jesus. We thank you for what he has done. And we worship you, Father. We worship before your throne. We worship you as our father. We worship Jesus Christ. At your very right hand. And it's, it's Father we just pray that continues on in our worship today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.